and honey. <laughs> Hi, fam. Man, this is a crazy week. Um, how do I even start this? Well, I'm going to start off by explaining why I'm in pajamas because um, I honestly haven't gone out of them for four days. I might have showered. I don't really care about that right now, to be honest with you. And this is all surrounding the last few weeks of news, not just behind George Floyd and his brutal murder that we all witnessed, but Breonna Taylor, the confusion behind that, and obviously that deplorable, devastating video footage we saw with Ahmaud Arbery and the millions of names behind that that we may never know just because someone wasn't pressing record. You know I always reach out to you, fam, to talk to you about any issues that you're having with relationships and health and your wellness, but these last few days, the influx of questions I have gotten, obviously you guys are all dealing with as heavy of a heart as the rest of our world um, surrounding these topics around racism. So when I was listening to all these questions, um, I have to be honest with you, I too felt so distraught and also so heavy with not knowing how to stay positive in my answers towards you or even guide you in the right direction. And that was the one time I was like, Jeannie, you're not meant to answer these questions by yourself. So don't take on this burden alone and instead sit back and listen and see where you can learn as well in such a, a, a heavy topic like racism and systemic racism that we all deal with today. So I reached out to one of my dear friends, Nancy Lubin, who is on with me right now. Nancy, you are the co-founder of an amazing text help hotline that is available to us all. It's called Crisis Text Line. And just through our fingertips at our very own phone, this text line is open 24-7 to field people's questions, to be there to listen, all actual human beings that are there to help every single one of us with our issues at any time. Anytime. This is crazy, Nancy. Thank you for joining us. What has it been like for you these last few months of the pandemic and let alone now on top of that, this, this, this news surrounding George and Ahmad and, and all of the families that are distraught over this. Um, there have been, it's, it's, we've seen three waves of feelings over the last three months, three waves of issues and different kinds of people texting us. The first wave started in the end of February and it was anxiety. It was a wave of intense anxiety, words like panic and freaked out. And um, related to COVID symptoms, fever, coughing, even the word sneeze, which isn't technically a COVID symptom. Um, and the age of our texture started to shift a little bit um, from younger people to 18 to 34. The, then the quarantines happened and the second wave really set in. And that's when the majority of our texters became the 18 to 34 age group who have been so disrupted. Um, you know, their living situation, they're, they're now sheltering with parents or roommates they found on Craigslist who they never thought they'd spend this much time with, or they have small children and that's really hard, um, or they're alone. Um, and then, and then they're, secondly, they're the first to have lost their jobs or be furloughed. And then thirdly, some of them, their relationship status, dating in a pandemic. Mm. I mean, relationships in a pandemic. You're the only person I know who your relationship is in a better place in the pandemic, Jeannie. You know, you got uh, engaged. <laughs> trust me, that I actually had a fan who's texted me. Thank you, thank you for that. But I had a fan who texted me and said, "You can't say divorce without saying COVID." I've got seven different friends who are now confirming that they want to go through divorce because the quarantine because confirmed it for them. It's it's time. crazy. 
So the yeah. quarantines, and then that's, and that's just that 18 to 34. The other thing we saw with the quarantines was a 78% increase in domestic violence, a 44% increase in sexual abuse, a 64% increase in eating disorders and an increase in substance abuse. I mean, think about what quarantines meant for people disrupting their safe spaces, disrupting their routines, maybe being trapped with people who are abusive and who are also feeling all kinds of feelings. Yeah. And now this third wave is trauma. Yeah. Third wave of what we're seeing is grief. We have to be honest about the grief. These over 100,000 COVID deaths skew black. Okay, so the grief is not being felt equally in this country. Different people. Oh, and I'm so glad Tanasha is here to join us. Tanasha's here. I'm I'm talking about the third wave of what we see. And I just started describing the trauma. So here she is. Um, one of our one of our leaders from Crisis Techland, who's a clinical, who's who's got an MSW. So um, um, and so uh, uh, the grief, which is not being equally felt, we saw a fourfold increase in grief um, from pre-COVID to to, to COVID. And grief is so hard because it grabs you unexpectedly yeah. in happy moments and sad moments in the middle of the night during the day when you're doing the dishes. Just it, it's hard to control, and it is being unequally felt by Black Americans. We just oh we need to acknowledge that about COVID. And then there's the job loss and job trauma, yes. which is also being unequally felt by certain people, um, right? So um, Latinx Americans are um, working through COVID more than others, so they are worried about their health. They're worried about their family's health. They're worried most about infecting other people. Absolutely. Um, kind of beautiful, but also challenging. So we've seen these three waves of emotion. And now in the last few weeks, you have the overt devaluation of black life. Yes. You have the, the roaring its head, white supremacy, people in power, people in positions of authority, murdering black people. Absolutely. And um, so add that to everything that's already been going on. Um, it's a tough time. Yeah. It's a tough time. And it's, it's, it's a tough time that's not felt equally by everyone. Right, Nancy, and I, 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 I'm so thankful that you broke it down to us statistically what kind of calls you're getting in and what the emotions are, because first of all, it, it, it's helpful to know that other people are feeling the same dismay and the same feelings of distraught as, as we are here at home. And I'm very also honored to have you ladies, B. Arthur and Tanasha, to be here specifically to speak about the Black experience and how we as allies should be behaving in this time, how we should be coexisting, what kind of actions we should be taking. Um, As I'm about to launch into some of these questions specifically for my fans, I wanted to say that I'm honored to have your latest experiences here. B. Arthur, first of all, you have built an amazing network of help for people around psychotherapy and um, your own um, expertise behind domestic violence and trauma. And I want to know about your company, The Difference. I love what you guys say about The Difference when it comes to the right talk at the right time can make all the difference. Can you tell me more about that and how that applies to us who need help? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you, honestly, for holding space for us. You know, it is exhausting. One of the nice things, and I'm sure, Tanasha, you can agree, you know, it's not just a bad week. This has been happening. Um, And I think this, for in my experience, I'm 36 years old, this is the first time multiple white friends have reached out to me to Mm -hmm. be like, are you okay? 
Like, I'm not, I can't imagine how you're doing. And honestly, after years of this, a lifetime of this, it's so kind, you know, like, because truthfully, we didn't create racism, right? So we can't kill racism. We can't cure racism. And, and that's the thing. It's not going to die. You have to kill it. And so it's really nice mm. to hear white people and allies reach out to be like, share the burden with us. You know, we mourn with those who mourn, especially to your point, Nancy, I live in Harlem, you know, these are working people. These are people who are most at risk of be having COVID in the Latino community. And as we saw in Italy, they actually care about their elderly and they live with their elderly. So it's a real risk to them. And so I just think that actually honoring and for the first time acknowledging what it might be like is, is a really huge, I'm not going to say first step because it's like basic human decency, um, but it's, it's really nice to finally see in shifting who is responsible for, for mourning and grief. Like, don't come to me and ask me how I feel. How do you feel? Absolutely. And we'll talk more about the difference and how we can specifically continue this conversation offline with you. So thank you for creating that, B. Arthur. And Tanasha, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so glad you made it. At a time like this, I know we've kind of got to pull you away from so many people who need your help right now. When it comes to your expertise with trauma, how are you feeling during these times? And how do you keep yourself positive when you're carrying the burden of so many people's issues? I was just actually talking with Nancy a little bit about that earlier um, today, about how during these times as um, professionals and as practitioners, the most we can do is pour into each other, right? And to, to take that space and, and hold it, yes, to process what we feel because avoiding feelings just leads to more feelings that you then have to process. Um, but taking the time to, to stay connected, right? I think during covid as a people, we've definitely been pushing for one another to stay connected while we're still apart. Yeah. And I think it was during these times that processing the anxiousness that we're feeling, processing the trauma, um, being able to stay connected and to talk uh, about what we're feeling is really the only way we'll be able to keep pushing through. Absolutely. And, and with that, I thank you for having such an amazing powerhouse team of women and um, heart and empathy towards the questions that we're going to open up. So, fam, Can you, I give you oh sure, yeah. Resilience. I want to show you. This is this is so heartwarming to me on the <laughs> just showing up. One of the things that we've seen over the last three months, Jeannie, is typically five percent of our texters identify as Asian, and you know, and you've been talking about this. Yeah. That Asians have been harassed, bullied, experiencing discrimination um, because of the origin, the identified origin of COVID, and um, mm. that. Uh, to the extent that as high as 12% of our texters wow. have been identifying as Asian. So it's more than doubled. People are really in pain. But I said, here's the inspiring, amazing, resilient thing. Typically, 10% of our, text, of, our, of our applicants to be crisis counselors, to be the people who Tanasha oversees, 10% yeah. uh, identify as Asian. That has been as high as 27% in the last mm -hmm. three months. 27% of all of our applicants to be the helpers identify as Asian. This is Asian people saying, I'm in pain and I want to help other people. I'm going to turn this pain into helping strangers right. in their darkest moments. That's beautiful. Which That's beautiful. No, by the way, I want to say that is not required. Uh, of black course people, not. Asian people, you do not need to do this and turn your pain. And if you just want to be in your pajamas and feel the pain or be quiet and, and let Listen. somebody else, that is okay. But I also find it inspiring that 27% of our applicants are identifying as Asian. Wow, this is unbelievable, especially since I'm going to tell you right now that's 26% more than I would ever guess would want to be in the field of helping <laughs> others. Because I'm going to tell you, I can almost guarantee that the majority of that 
27% are Asian Americans because that's a very different person than in eight, than in just an Asian. And the reason why I say that is most of us came from stories of somebody who escaped here or who came here. And for some reason with Asian mentality, it just becomes work and family, nothing else. And that also mm. means sitting quiet when it comes to either being racially attacked or seeing it happen to our friends and our community around us, which also means you're part of the problem. So this wave of the 27% is, is I, I'm so grateful to hear because that means that they're breaking the generational curse of not talking about this that's happening in our household. And I'm going to get into a question I heard from a fan of mine who DM'd me, and I'd love to get your guys' opinion on that too. So let's open up the floor to these questions. I want to thank you, fam, first of all, for answering my DM and you know, hitting me up with so many honest questions. Um, and, and just, I can feel the tremor in your voice. The reason why this is the first time I've ever done an ask for audio questions is because I felt it was very important, as you ladies need, to listen to the inflection of voices and to hear the tone of where you're coming from. Um, for the last year, I've been doing my podcast based on all written questions, text questions. And this is the first time that my heart just, it, it beat along with every single person that sent a question with me. So I hope our answers help you. And we're going to give you some sources on how to continue this, this conversation offline. So let's start the questions here. Um, I'm going to play it. And then ladies, please feel free to jump in however you feel to help answer. As people burnt their jobs down, literally burnt them down. They took money from a mom that needs to feed her kids or money from somebody that needs to pay their rent on the first. What they're doing is not helping the cause and not bringing justice to Mr. Floyd. It has now gone from Mr. George Floyd dying and it being sad and justice for him and bring the murderers in to let's just steal and loot and destroy everything and not give two shits who we hurt. It's just really, really sad. Uh, Today's looks like a third world country. So if you haven't seen any of those... Um, so I'm going to cut her off there. To give you some context, this fan is a white middle-aged woman. She lives in Minnesota, and she's watching this go down. Um, a lot of these questions come from obviously different angles of what's going on. And some of them, if I didn't ask your question or play your question today, it's because you generally ask something that I'm going to play. So this is addressing all the people who are angry at the looting, angry at the riots, and feeling angry towards the people that are being most hurt, which is the black community. So how do we process this? Because Obviously, we know that this is, I love Martin Luther King's um, quote when it comes to riots. He says, riots are the voices of the unheard. He obviously advocates that nonviolence is always the answer, that violence is only a temporary fix, but that riots are of the unheard. So ladies, how do we channel these thoughts if we are angry at the looters and the rioters right now? I'd love to start um, just because you mentioned voice detection. So actually the difference actually started out, we built the very first Alexa skill for therapy. And that actually started because we were trying to build a library of emotion detection so we could detect emotion and voice because people aren't very honest, but you could hear it. And so the reason I mentioned that is because in this particular woman's voice, um, it, she didn't sound sad. She said she was sad. She signaled that she was sad. But what I heard was irritation. Mm -hmm. What I heard was a lack of control. 
Um, so she's not angry for the looters. She's not angry for George. I mean, she's not angry on behalf of the community and especially the cause she came to care about that is diminished in her eyes. It already was. So um, yeah, again, you can allow all opinions. Um, you can have empathy and I'm attempting to have understanding for her opinion. But again, like she didn't mention Breonna Taylor, who has unfortunately been left out of the conversation this month or any of the myriad of essential workers and black people who are dying. So, you know, the internet has unfortunately given the opinion that everybody with an opinion deserves equal respect. Mm. And it doesn't. So, <laughs> but I am sorry, obviously, for like loss of work and stuff, but it's already happening. It's, we, we're losing lives. Right. So and this, rather than be reactive, let's plan for it. Right. And this is happening after years and years and years of not feeling heard and not feeling like yeah, action is right. taking place and not feeling like our allies have stepped up for us. So this is the reaction of so much, I, I'm imagining, obviously, but so much um, angst and so much fury over not being heard. And I think, too, a really great point to bring here is that there are lots of different historical pieces that start with riots, right? When we look at different injustices, like I I've, uh, was born and raised in North New Jersey, and we often talk about the Nork riots and how they're often in response to things um, that happened where voices weren't heard before, right? We've seen so many times where people will... Um, try to get different um, responses, right, without rioting, and it goes unheard, right? So now that people are tapping into uh, financial resources, they're tapping into people's homes, um, people are upset, right? But the community is angry, right? And so when we're angry and we've had enough, it, it's you. there's so many different ways that it will be, be seen. Um, uh, one great uh, comment that I saw about everything that's happening is um, – someone was uh, also angry about the rioting and the response that they gave was, well, when we tried to kneel, we didn't get the same response. Right. So there are lots of different spaces um, that people are tapping into because uh, once you reach exhaustion, enough is enough. So yes, it, it's very unfortunate that um, it's gotten to this point, but I think um, if I could ask a question in return, it's can we explore how we even got here? Right. Oh, see, that's a great takeaway for everybody who's listening, who hears somebody express this angst and express this anger and irritation, which I also heard too, B. So that's very thankful to, to actually stop. Don't take it just at the riots. Let's take it back to what caused and where this all started from, which my gosh, we can go back as far as Jim Crow laws because clearly nothing has even changed since then. Actually, I think I'd go back earlier than that to grabbing people, bringing them to this country, stealing this country's land. We yeah. got, there's, it's not been good for a long, long time. And, and the thing that I'm hearing is, look, white supremacy is comfortable. It, it really is for, for the people in power. And I got to be honest, change is going to hurt. And it should. Like people like me, a white cisgendered straight woman, uh, no matter how many times I've read the book, White Fragility, no matter how much work I do, no matter how many friends I make, relatives I have, I am still a little bit racist because I have enjoyed the privilege of a mm. racist system. And any white person who denies that um, is missing out on their privilege. It, they just, they're not even seeing it. We, we benefit even when we don't try. And so it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt a little bit and it should because it's been hurting for a long time for the people who've been living under white supremacy. So like, I'm actually ready for the discomfort. I'm ready for the change. I get that more representation for, um, for people who are not represented might mean less white people in government. Guess what? I'm okay with that. Might mean 
you know, like uh, changing schools, uh, changing how things look, changing how we speak. Um, I'm, con- I- I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm ready for also to get it wrong. I think we talk a lot about trying to get things right, and there's really no such thing as getting it right. What there is is trying and failing and trying again and being super uncomfortable. I say that as a white person. I say that as somebody who enjoys a heck of a lot of privilege. This is going to hurt, and yeah. I'm going to get it wrong a lot. And um, don't feel bad for me. Please don't be like, oh, that's so great, Nancy, or, or oh, um, I care for you. That's not about me. I'm going to have to hurt a little bit. I'm okay with that. I actually had a fan touch on exactly that question, Nancy, and I and I – I thank you for just being very bold about what your privileges are and, and, and to, because I think that's the first step all of us need to do, especially from the non-black communities, to recognize that, that unfair systemic racism that exists but that we have been benefiting from. I'm going to play this next question that's actually geared just towards that. I guess what's on my mind is what do they really talk about in Caucasian families in, in regards to race? Or is that really not a conversation? And why are majority of our white friends, I'm paraphrasing now, but why are many of our white friends so silent? Like, what are they afraid to talk about in regards to this issue? And what do they talk about? You know, we're, most of us are 20, 30, 40 years old that watch, you know, The Real and watch Hello, Honey. And our 20, 30, 40 year old friends have kids. So what are they talking about with their children? uh, Specifically, white Caucasian families. What are they talking about with their children in regards to race? Because it doesn't seem like there's any connect. Now, Nancy, I know that's a loaded question to just kind of put here, and I'm not saying you're the spokesperson for every, you know, white person out there, but this is, again, I'm, I'm opening up the floor to people who are just throwing out questions and I don't want them to feel unheard. And B, teach me, because I want to start learning your lessons when it comes to fielding these audio questions. I sensed absolute frustration and irritability and, dare I say, like a towing the line of beginning to disrespect the race, the Caucasian race, because there's an assumption that race isn't even being talked about in, in homes because of the examples that we're seeing out there. Am I right around that? In this caller's voice, I actually heard like a genuine sense of wonder, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've been in the same place, you know, like we got stolen 400 years ago. We have systemic, you know, we don't have representation in government, you know. And so the question has been like, what did we ever do to make them hate us this much, to make us value us this little, you know, like, like she's really like, what do y'all talk about? And it actually reminds me, I was doing this like pilot or whatever in LA and you know how that can go but um so we are all cast and I remember it was literally the day that Brad and Angelina announced their divorce and it's me and all these like you know talent ladies and and it was also the day and I hope I don't get his name wrong so I won't even mention it but it was also the day when the man in Oklahoma in Tulsa was walking away with his hands up and there's helicopters and somebody's like yeah he looks like a bad dude and a white female cop shot him in the back and it was all on camera and so that was what was dominating my feed and they, these women were literally like, oh, my God, Aunt Brad and Angelina. One woman was like, I'm really going to cry. I have to call my mother. You know, and it was in that moment that I became race loyal because I was, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, well, it didn't even show up in their feed, let alone trip up their day. 
So if you have different worlds, you'll have different worldviews. And I think as black people, it's hard for them to understand how they see us. And unfortunately for some white people, it's always under suspicion. So yeah, that gets exhausting and it's painful. Absolutely. What kind of things do you think we should? Well, okay. So, so um, I'm looking at this question from somebody who is non-white and it should be asked of a white person. What did, yeah. Why do you hate us so much? You've always been on top. What, what did we do to deserve to die? Like it's a, a genuine question. Like I'm wondering too. And I also do wonder is I actually love the, the, the question, the part of the question that asks, are they talking about this? Is it so uncomfortable that we don't speak about this around the dinner table or is it being brought up? And is it only, I mean, I think that most of my friends in New York and LA, maybe even Atlanta are going to talk about it that are white. But I wonder if the middle country is like, I will say, not this bullshit again. I will say, um, and again, I can't speak for all white people, just like anybody black or Asian can't speak for, for no one can speak for everybody and shouldn't try. I'll just say for me, it's actually, it's a choice. And it's a choice. It's the luxury of the choice. I I don't believe that my friends who are who are black parents or parents of black children have that choice. Um, um, there's no choice. Um, my sister, who whose kids whose husband is black and kids are black, she has no choice. This is a you know 100% of the time something that she thinks about raising black children, um, and um, it's constant. I I have a choice. Like my kids grow up looking at, let's see, you look at Santa and you look at the pictures of the, even the freaking Easter bunny is a white bunny. And you look at all of the, um, you look at all of the like characters and all of the leaders and role models. And like, if you don't, if you don't want to talk about race, if you don't want to face these issues, you have the luxury of the psychological freedom to avoid. And then there are people who choose schools and choose neighborhoods to avoid. Um, and so. It is, it is definitely the choice to talk about it. I mean, we talk about it a lot. My, I also am married to a man um, who's part Cuban, Jason Diaz. My kids, are, my kids are, are blonde Jewish kids with the last name Diaz. We talk about this stuff because people approach my kids and just start speaking Spanish to them and assume certain things. Um, but they still have the, the privilege, frankly, of their skin color and their eye color and their hair color. And we talk about that and we, we acknowledge that again, there it's privilege. And, um, I think that it's, you know, B, you said what makes them hate us so much. I do think it's fear. I think it's fear and fear is such a powerful thing. And people have, have chosen and been raised in fear as opposed to love and love is so much more powerful. The thing that really gets me is that in America, people love black culture just don't love black people. And that's the thing that's just, that's so amazing. They want their rhythm, but they don't want the blues. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't they explain have it. I can't yeah. explain that one. I, I, yeah. I really can't. I don't understand it, but, I, but it's powerful and deep. Yeah. It's deep. Um, and so this, this, is just, this is just the beginning, but I do have to admit I feel horribly guilty for not having started this conversation that I've been having with my friends and, and on my outside sources like this years ago when we were able to actually capture some of these things by phone and then to take the time to learn myself, you know, how long this has been going on before that. I um, want to call out B and Tanasha and give them, give them space to talk about this because I think one of the things that's so important is that they're both licensed professionals in mental health. 
and that um, stigma is deep um, in general, but also especially in the black community. And the idea of, of processing and being able to turn to safe spaces is so important. So I wonder if you guys want to talk about how people can get help and also, I mean, like what you guys do, your choices for these career paths, it's just, um, it's so important. Like you don't have to go through this pain alone, Jeannie. I'm glad people have sent you questions and that you're ripping the bandaid off this, but like there, there is, there are some venues. Ladies, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about some actual steps we can take to help mentally process what's going on. Welcome back to Listen, Honey. I am joined with Nancy Lubin, B. Arthur, and Tanasha from Crisis Text Line and from an amazing wealth of resource and experience to help us field what, what, what is going on right now. This next question kind of echoes, I feel, what a lot of people are asking. I'll play it for you now. Next, it will be my cousin or someone I care about or one of my closest friends. This fan was just really in despair. I cut the, the main part where I could make sense of, of her words, but she just basically is sick of tired of saying Black Lives Matter and just praying or looking to affirm positive messages with her friends. She's now in fear of it happening anywhere close to her own circle of family members and, and friends around her. So what can we do when we're dealing with this much weight and, and, and guilt and fear? I actually, before you jump into Nasha, I just want to say, just since we're on voice tech, um, that's what fear sounds like in her voice. It, it was hard to listen. That's what actual fear sounds like. That's what actual sadness sounds like. So I don't think it's fear, and again, not all white people, but racist white people that they have against us. It's disgust, it's distrust, and it's just dismissiveness. They just, they just wish we weren't around. So that's what sadness sounds like. Um, and I think we do need to hold more space and hold Black people who have been fighting and struggling for so long. But go ahead, talk. I'm sorry. No, that's a, a great way to start, B, because I, I was immediately going to point out the, the pain and the fear that you hear in that person's voice. Um, while it was difficult to hear their actual words, which you, either way, what you bring forth is how people are just in pain, right? An absurd amount of pain that's cycling through, that they've had to go through uh, numerous times if we counted the hashtags, right, that have had to come from these type of things, um, we know we would have too many to post on Instagram. Like We're running out of hashtags. Running out of them. So, but to that point about what we can do, we can keep doing more things like this, right? Like we can keep talking, we can keep um, socializing and getting um, allies together, right? To be able to make action uh, of things to come, right? I, we're at a point now where we're able to talk about it freely, where people are acknowledging the pain and the injustices that are done outside of the black community. Um, but what we can do now is we can start taking action. We can start giving people space 
to say what they really feel, to no longer just be politically correct, but to have conversations where we can talk about how it feels or how sometimes you just don't feel like doing anything because you're tired of seeing what's happening, right? We can talk about mental health days and how it's okay to make space to not be okay, right? And that's, that's a part of grieving. That's a part of loss. Um, connecting with places like Crisis Text Line and like the difference to be able to talk to professionals, right? It's, it doesn't just have to be siloed within your family, within your community, within what you see on social media. There are professionals that are here to be able to help you and to talk through these things and to validate that you're not going crazy or you're not alone or you're not um, just going through this by yourself. For so long, we've been silent. We've just been huddling together as a family and just taking it one day at a time. But I think as a community, it's time for us to start speaking about it more and to using the resources that are there to help us that we've never felt comfortable using before. Hmm. Wow. Tanasha, I love that you are actually encouraging to continue talking about this. So you're saying even when it feels like it's not doing anything, that we should still be continuing these conversations as much as we can with people who are either open to hear it or are we beating down the doors of people who don't want to hear about it? No, I don't think you should be down the door of anyone who doesn't want to hear Why it do I that. feel like I do want to do that, though? Why do I actually want to? I, I actually have friends who don't want to talk about this. And I, and I actually start to I'm starting to draw this little invisible line of who my real friends are and who are the ones that I don't want to be around or know. Now, to be that, really now honest. Takeaway, now, that is a takeaway. Yet now I absolutely am a firm believer of drawing that boundary. Right. Like pain and frustration will absolutely show you who your true friends are and who's really in the fight with you. Um, as far as forcing right, the conversation to happen with someone, I think that's a different scenario that may end up with you feeling more frustrated right, about how things are going on because now you're trying to speak the truth after all these times to only be met with someone who's not ready for it. Um, I do think that we can create pathways to talk about it, right? even for people who don't want to. right? It's one thing to say, okay, I'm just going to try to give you this information and you don't take it, but it's another thing to give them the resources. You can train someone to fish and they'll fish for a day or they'll eat for a day. But if you, um, or if you give them a fish, they'll eat for a day. But if you train them to fish, they'll eat forever, right? So giving people the resources and the correct information to fuel and um, get away those myths that they're thinking, 100%. Give it to people, right? And then you can, you can sit back and say, I have done what I, I needed to do to, to spread the, the good word or the good information. I just say, like, I'm really upset and kind of just overwhelmed about everything going on with George Floyd and just police brutality and anti-black racism. And as a brown South Asian um, girl, we never really talked about this at home. So I wanted to ask you how I and, you know, my family could unlearn some anti-black racism that you know, is in, embedded into South Asian and overall Asian communities. So the specific part for me when I heard this fan's question was unlearn, unlearn anti-Black racism. And as an Asian American myself, I can absolutely affirm that I've heard racial jokes, racial innuendos. Um, I'd love to hear your guys' take on this. Um, and for, But for me, I would just like to say to this, this, this fan. I too am feeling the burden of responsibility to turn around to my family members 
the old schoolers, the, the, the first gen, and also the OG Asians. And to just talk about starting at understanding that we all want the same thing for our children. We want them to be safe. We want our family members to be able to walk out on the streets and, and feel okay. So I, I advise first to open up the conversations and to directly speak about the news that's going on. Start with what we're seeing with George Floyd. Start with how they feel about this. What, what kind of emotions this drums up. And then what are their feelings when it comes to the black community? What are any of the fears? What are the judgments? What are the stereotypes? What are the things that they've they felt? And I, I just really believe that opening up that conversation to begin with, that's what I'm doing now with my family members. And even though I have to be honest, I'm afraid of the answers, I'm thankful to have a jumping point where we can start to at least understand where our confusion and our emotions lay and to start from there to be at least make it a topic that we have to care about. I mean, I think that East and South Asians can relate. Obviously, they have the victims of discrimination and stereotyping, but we have to remember, at least in this country, that East and South Asians have the benefit of being the model minority. So this, they, even though there might be like, oh, Asians are different, it's Asians are different because they're smart. You know, so the kind of racism that y'all might experience doesn't necessarily lead to you losing your life. You know, and even like within the Asian community, there's already a lot of colorism. So we have to remember that America lives in, it's run by a patriarchy, which is still a hierarchy. So a lot of people like Asian people and, and South Asian people will still feel higher than black people. And, and, and so that's a thing. And so it is unfortunately your job, because remember what racism is based on right now is a disgust and a distrust of black people. So when we point out racism, they don't trust us. I'll get accused of paying the race card. But your grandmother likely trusts you and will believe you if you say, hey, that's, you shouldn't say that anymore. You know, we've been uncomfortable. I shout out to Nancy. She's always willing to make herself uncomfortable, always willing to learn. And it's not unlearning. It's learning new behaviors. Like racists need to be uncomfortable in this country, not us. You know, like I saw something on Twitter that was perfect. It was like, it needs to be harder to become a cop and easier to become a black man. So like it needs to be easier to be a black man and harder to become a cop. And I'm sure you can see that for your experience. We don't want to have to worry every time somebody leaves the house. So yeah, it, it's on you. I would love to see in the new world, people, it, it's not cool anymore. It's not a joke anymore, you know? I, I love what you just said about race needs to be uncomfortable, not the black community. Yeah. It's just like Nancy said, they have become very comfortable in the last four years. Like, there are no consequences. People keep saying there's never been a worse time to be a white man. It's like, okay, you might get criticized, but I'll get killed, okay, because of racism. So, right. like, there's, it's just not the same. Right, right. And to dovetail off of these comments, you, um, there's a, um, a, a image that's been very heavily um, or given since around 2005 that talks about the differences of covert versus overt racism. And I think really what you're talking about is the idea of what's acceptable, right? So like the jokes that we give, um, uh, things like um, jokes about culture or, or even things like the school to prison pipeline, right? Like those are all versions of racism that are socially acceptable because it's easier to turn an eye to them. Uh, the ones that aren't, uh, overt, which are um, things like lynchings or um, the KKK walking around, like those are all things that we, we know are wrong. But now we're stepping more into things that have been socially acceptable. And some people are like, is it really acceptable? But to B's point, if the, 
the responsibility does fall on those who hear it, right? Like even within ourselves, when we hear different types of racism, it's like, will you sit there and laugh or will you say something about it? Um, it's, it's always easier, right, to sit there and not say something because no one wants to become that person. But I think what the Black community and those who are feeling oppressed is, is asking for is for everyone to be that person, to not just sit there and accept it, but to really speak up and say, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but here's why that's not okay. I also think one last point too, is to really be able to give the right impression and the right information. So when you hear people saying the different things that they're hearing on the news, that's just, that seems like it's just blanketed. It's like, no, I need you to dig a little bit deeper and not just see what the post that's on Facebook or not just see the, the scroll. 30 second clip. Yeah. Like give me what's behind that. Where did that even come from? Right. Start really questioning the information that we're using to form these behaviors that we see and to see if there's any flaws with them. Absolutely. My last question for you ladies, I really want to dig into your expertise on how to help us cope with everything that we know. Going on on in our world, what do you do um, to get your mind off all of the uncertainty that's going on? So I, I struggled with this question on featuring it because part of me was like, the angry part of me was like, no, we shouldn't take our mind off of it. We, we have to be deep in this and, and actually whatever we don't know, we have to pour into what we don't know and speak to our friends of the black community, read, research, understand as much as you can and, and, and be there in this pain that we're going through. But then the other side of me was like, no, there are people at different limitations who can't handle this, this influx of bad news. And so there needs to be an outlet to be able to take your mind off of things. Like I wonder ladies, when you feel these calls, how do you go home to then go on a date or go make dinner for your family? And I've even had a few arguments with um, some, some tense moments with, with my fiance because I'm, I'm, I'm angry and, and, and I just don't know where to deposit these feelings. So what is your advice on how to handle it, and do we take our mind off of it or not? Well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say to for non-black people, um, it is a privilege to look away, so don't do that. Hmm. I'm gonna say to non-black people, if you were like, I don't want to see the movie Twelve Years a Slave, that's too hard. That's what you should be doing this weekend. You should rent that movie wow. and watch it. And if you are like, I don't want to watch that video, it's too hard. All you're doing is sitting on a couch and watching a video. You can walk outside your door and, and not be at risk. So I'm, I'm actually going to ask non-white people to look at right square on, to lean all the way in and educate yourself by, by, um, by being uncomfortable, by being really uncomfortable and doing the thing that you're afraid to do, the hard thing, you know, the thing that most, most white women I know, the worst thing you could ever call them is a racist. Um, you can call me fat. You could tell me my roots are terrible. Totally true. You can call me a whole bunch of things, but oh my gosh, I, I don't because I, I do care deeply and I, 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 I want to be a good person, but you know what? I am. Every non-white person is because you benefit from a racist system. Mm. So even if in your heart, even if your intention is otherwise, You've benefited from a system that's that's given you privilege, so um, so don't look away, 
choose to talk about it with your kids, choose to look at it, choose to watch these videos, choose to be uncomfortable. It's the only way change happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the same thing. You know, it's not about unlearning. We're learning new behaviors. You're learning to be anti-racist. You know, for several decades, we let people get away with saying, I don't see color. So the time has passed <laughs> for that. Wow. You know, she, oh, she said that. <laughs> so I think, yeah, the time, and, and you really have to go out of your way. I mean, we really, this is really unsustainable. So you have to overcorrect. And Nancy's a great role model for this. She does not come through without the crew. Like she always makes sure there's somebody brown up in there and, and she uses her privilege for good. She uses her white privilege for good. And, and so, but also mm. talk to a trusted source, you know, as much as you want to reach out your strong friends, people can say the wrong things at the wrong time that can make it worse, make people feel more alone. So obviously there's crisis text line. They're very well-trained in crisis, but also culturally competent. So hit up 741-741 anytime. Um, there's also my business, The Difference is launching yes. in June. Yes, finally. And we connect you with our mental strength trainers in 30 minutes or less also well-trained in cultural competence. Um, there's one that's just for brown people called Ayana that's new, A-Y-A-N-A. -A. There's also therapy for black girls, shout out to Dr. Joy Harden, um, Hartford. And yeah, there's so many right now, luckily, that are trying to make affordable, sustainable healthcare that again is most importantly culturally competent because there has been racism in the mental health field. So yeah, just like keep talking to people until you feel safe and go out of your way and really hold space and just make brown people feel held this week. It's the least you can do. Absolutely. And B, you said the difference is launching June, which congratulations. How do we get directly in touch with the difference? Yes, please go to thedifference.co. You have to be on our wait list to actually use it for the next three months because we only have enough therapists for up to a thousand people. We don't want to make this cheaper, better, faster. We really want to make it feel like good concierge care therapy. Yes. Teletherapy. So yeah, get on there. I'd love to like offer uh, a discount code to your, to your listeners. Okay. And, and specifically <laughs> with this podcast, everybody go to my Instagram at the Jeannie Mai. You're going to see there a post featuring this talk and also in my caption, I'm going to put specific links to get to the crisis text line and also to get to the difference. So thank you so much for these leads. Oh, and Violet for, for LGBTQ. It's, it's an LGBTQ mental health mar marketplace. I'm going to text you separately yeah, to get all these specifically because I love that you covered every group. I appreciate that yeah, so much. It's important. Tanasha, was there anything else from you before I wrap up here? No, I think both Nancy and B just covered it wonderfully, which is we know that these are going to be tough times and um, we, we, can't, we can turn them off if you want, but when you come back, like it's still there. So take that time um, and make it actionable, right? I think it feels hard to just look at it and just say, well, now what? But just something with it, right? Once you're able to get that information, how are you going to channel it? How are you going to do something to make someone feel better? How are you going to do something to change the way you've acted? acted in the past or you're going to act in the future. So, you know, these times are here and the most we can do is try to prevail through. Absolutely. Ladies, I, I can't thank you enough for starting a conversation that I'm going to be continuing with you guys offline. Thank you for your experience and, and, and your, your stories and your insight. And to all of my fam out there, I think the number one thing that we're taking away from this discussion is lean in, have the discussions, continue. If it's uncomfortable, you're in the right place. Learn as much as you can. Talk to people of different uh, communities, especially the Black community. And I would also even add that if you look around your circle of friends or around your dinner table and they all look like you, that's a problem. 
I love you guys. Um, again, please rate and review this. Uh, please rate and review this podcast. Please do follow me at, on Instagram at the Genie Mai. I'm going to be linking all of these ladies so that you can continue the conversations with them and know that um, I love you guys and, and please stay safe out there.